0: Welcome to the Wealth Navigator podcast, where you go behind the scenes with certified financial planner and portfolio manager Richard Dree. You'll hear stories of how successful entrepreneurs navigated the unique opportunities and challenges facing their businesses and get tips from leading business consultants on how to break through to the next level in your business. And here's your host, Richard Dree.
1: Hello, it's Richard Dree and welcome to the Richard Dree Wealth Navigator podcast where my mission is to motivate entrepreneurs to become financially literate and to convert their high income into true wealth. With wealth, the entrepreneur can build a business free of financial constraints and can focus on their customers, their families, and their health. Today, my guest is Richard Dree. Again, yes, you may be getting bored of me. However, this is an extremely important podcast that I believe everybody will enjoy. Now, We have had a nerve-wracking year so far. Between January 1st to March 23rd, the S&P TSX fell 33%. So mathematically, it would not require a 33% gain to break even. In fact, it would require a higher number. And if you do the math, it requires a 52% increase from its March 23rd low to break even for the year. How many people thought that could happen. Well, what happened after the March 23rd low has become a record. It's unbelievable what has happened since the March 23rd low. From its low, the TSX is now up, as of June the 8th, when I record this, a total of 42%. Remember I said it needed 52% to increase in order to break even from its March 23rd low it increased by 42%. So that means from its March 23rd low, we only need another 10% in order for it to break even for the year. Now, if you had stayed the course... Your investment portfolio today would be very close to breaking even, especially if you have some U.S. exposure, because U.S. stocks have more or less broken even for the year, and definitely if you've had a bond exposure that is up anywhere from 2% to 5%, depending on the duration of the bonds. Unfortunately, some investors abandoned their investment policy statement and took a different route. The problem with that is they made their investment decisions or they changed their investment decisions at the height of a pandemic and during the scariest times so far. So they acted with emotions. They didn't act with evidence and they contradicted their investment policy statement. Now, in this particular podcast, I want to spend some time on reiterating what an investment policy statement is, what's in it and why it's so important. Now, like any trips that you might take to Europe, to Eastern or Western Canada, you have a plan. You spend hours, if not days, on establishing what you're going to do, where you're going to go, how much time you're going to spend, and of course, you're going to look at your budget. What makes us think that we can haphazardly throw together an investment portfolio on the fly? especially if the markets are at extremes. At extreme highs, we are extremely greedy, of course. In extreme lows, like we saw in March, we are extremely pessimistic. Now, I suggest strongly that we start with a set of policies or investment rules. Otherwise, I'm afraid we will be investing blindly, which could lead to us selling at a low, Such as March 23rd, which many people did, and maybe even buying back at highs as we are looking at today, or maybe in the near future. So this podcast will explain the reasons why we need a set of rules, a set of guidelines. They are just simply called an investment policy statement, but really that's all it is. It's a map. It's a set of rules that will keep you grounded in order for you to reach and achieve your investment goals. Now, the investment goals can be retirement planning or financial independence. It could be saving for a a bigger house, saving for education, paying off tuition, buying a house. Anyway, it could be anything. It could be short-term goal. It could be long-term goal. The point of the matter is that these particular goals are established and the set of policies or rules for investing In order to achieve those goals are predetermined at the beginning of the investment process, not during the investment decisions, and especially not during extreme conditions, as we have seen in 2020. Now, let's build an investment policy statement in four steps. The first step is to sit down with your partner and to really start thinking about your goals. Now, for this purpose, I'm going to assume that the couple only has one goal, and that is to achieve their financial independence by age 60. That's step one. Now, in step two, we have to determine how much time or how many years before they reach financial independence. Do they want to reach financial independence in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? In this particular case, we're going to assume the couple wants to reach financial independence Within 25 years, that's step two. In step three, the couple discusses the amount of risk they're willing to accept. So they talk about risk. Now, some investors are willing to accept a very high degree of volatility in their portfolios, while others are more conservative and would rather have a more stable portfolio. It allows them to sleep better at night, and maybe they will be tempted to stay put a market correction. So the risk discussion is very important. Now, this step is sometimes very complicated. And I think it comes down to two reasons. Number one, each person has their own risk tolerance. So husband, wife, they don't necessarily have the same risk profile. They can't agree. So that is one of the big problems of achieving a risk tolerance profile for the client. The second reason I think it's also important is that perhaps the couple has not invested through a market correction. And therefore, they don't really know what the risk tolerance is. So the last market correction we had was in 2008-2009. They may have started investing after that period of time. If they have, they don't really have a pure test yet although in March of 2020, they were tested. So those are the two reasons I believe that it can be complicated, but eventually an asset allocation should be arrived at. And in this particular case, we're going to arrive at an asset allocation that both husband and wife are comfortable with. And we've selected for for the podcast a 60% equities and 40% fixed income proportion And again, for the sake of convenience, we will assume 100% Canadian investments in order to avoid any currency risk. Now, step four and the final step is to select the investments that will help you achieve financial independence. Now, here we will discuss everything. We will discuss stocks, bonds, real estate, international investments, ETFs, alternative investments, and we will come up with a group of investments that we will stick with. My suggestion is to use a rule-based investment approach. And my favorite set of rules are rules that help identify Canadian companies that pay dividends and are projected to continue to pay those dividends, but also increase dividends on an annual basis. Dividend growers is what I'm looking for. Now, of course, there are other Rule-based models, such as investing in value stocks, growth stocks, or even momentum stocks. Again, the selection of the appropriate model is dependent on the couple's goals and risk profile. Now, let me summarize what we have done in these four easy steps. Number one, we've established a goal and a time frame. In our example, that is to reach financial independence in 25 years. Number two, we've established the asset allocation based on the risk tolerance of the couple. In our case, we have established a 60-40 mix. And finally, number three, we have established the type of stocks and bonds that will be purchased. Now, notice that by not including momentum stocks or value stocks, they have limited the number of stocks or the type of stocks that this particular client will buy. So, if they come across a stock that pays a dividend, they will consider it. If they come across a stock or an investment that does not pay a dividend or income, it will be rejected. I'll give you an example. If they buy real estate in their asset allocation, in this case, we did not allocate any money to real estate, but had they allocated a portion to real estate and they were looking at investments such as land, We know that land does not pay a dividend, and therefore it would be excluded from the universe. On the other hand, if they were brought a multifamily building, such as an apartment building, and it would fit their asset allocation, note that a rental property pays rental income. And with the rental income, there should be some cash flow left over. That makes it a dividend or an income-producing asset. So that would be eligible for their model. So by selecting the type of investments that you are interested in, it makes it easier. You will not be tempted to buy investments that do not fit those particular parameters. The IPS will most likely be challenged during market extremes. For example, if the market is strong, the couple's investments will underperform the market and maybe even underperform the investment returns of their friends. And we all know that FOMO can be very motivating, but also very destructive. When this happens, I remind clients that their portfolios should not be measured against the returns of the markets or the returns of their friends. I suggest comparing their returns to the expected returns given their asset allocation and their risk tolerance. By comparing their investment returns to the appropriate benchmark, they may in fact learn that they are actually progressing as planned in the investment policy statement, and there was no need to to worry, and definitely there was no need to change course. The IPS is also challenged when the markets are falling. During stressful times, a couple may be tempted to override their IPS and become more conservative. Think back to March 23rd, 2020. When this happens, I remind the couples that we wrote an investment policy statement. And at that time, we discussed the maximum drawdown that their asset allocation would potentially drop. And we said, Are you able to accept that decline in the market based on historical patterns? If the answer was yes, That was the asset allocation we would live with. If the answer was no, we would reduce the volatility of the portfolio by either increasing bonds or decreasing equities. I also remind them that when we did the investment policy statement, we also agreed that when the markets declined, we would not change the asset allocation. We would rebalance the portfolios In other words, we would add to the losing positions by scaling down or trimming down some of our winning positions. And lastly, if possible, we would increase our savings in order to buy stocks at a lower price. I hope this short podcast motivated you to write an investment policy statement before starting any investment plan and to refer back to the investment policy statement whenever the markets reach extreme valuations. If you have any questions about creating your own investment policy statement, please go to richarddree.ca and either book a Skype meeting with me or read any other blogs that I have written on this particular subject. Thank you.
0: Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a business owner? Check out our blog, Live Well, Stay Rich, and Never Retire at www.richarddree.ca, where Richard covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies specifically for business owners. By subscribing to our blog, you'll receive exclusive member content and complimentary books written by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Get it all now at www.richarddree.ca.